Thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the skeptic psychic. Hello, how's everything going? And welcome once again to the skeptic psychic, where we kind of delve into a lot of the myths, fairy tales, uh, paranormal, UFOs, the uh, eccentric, the esp the esoterical, as well as the all the wonderful things that you want to know. With me, as always, the smart, talented, Mercy thinks she's, she's sexy, my sister, Kim Rodriguez. Hey, how's it going? All right, how about yourself? Doing pretty good. Um, I had a very interesting experience the other day. Um, oh, really? Yes, Mercy and I went out to eat at our favorite Mexican restaurant. Excuse me, Mexican restaurant. And as we were there waiting for our food, I noticed this couple walked in. It was, you know, a man and a woman. And the guy looked very much Native American, um, not in his dress or his attire, but just, you know, his features. He appeared like he would be Native American. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm hmm. Well, when the waitress brought our food, I noticed that this gentleman was talking to the hostess. And I saw like, it almost looked like a smoke. And it just kind of like came off of the gentleman and it lingered in the air after he walked off. And my mm -hmm. first thought was, oh, well, he just came out from smoke or like he was smoking a cigarette. But this is a no smoking restaurant. So he couldn't have been smoking right. the restaurant. So then I was like, oh my gosh, is the restaurant on fire? <laughs> but the smoke just kind of dissipated so it was like no it's not on fire either so it almost makes me wonder if maybe there was like a spirit lingering in the restaurant um that either knew this guy or came in with this guy and it just kind of like I was able to see it in smoke form um I talked to one of my friends who's a psychic medium and she did say like her mother sees spirits in in a smoke form like that so Mm. Yeah, that was very interesting, very, very odd situation. But I just wanted to share that and, you know, get people's thoughts and opinions on it. What are your thoughts? Who knows? Maybe you, you saw something. Well, maybe you does, didn't. <laughs> it does run in our family, but I tried to think right. of all the rational things it could be. And like I said, it couldn't be cigarette smoke because there's no smoking. Mm -hmm. Um. It was far enough away from the kitchen that it wasn't coming from the kitchen. Right. And so I don't know. It was just very, very odd. I don't know either. So tonight we are continuing our conversation on sacred birds. I hope you all were at the edge of your seats waiting after last week's fabulous episode to hear more. Fabulous. Uh, that's not fabulous. It's fabu. Ah. The sacred birds are fabu? Yeah. Okay. So now why don't Greeks, we... Sorry, why don't we kick it off? I was going to kick it off, but no, I changed my mind. Oh, come on. This is what the people are here for. Maybe. Well, then if we're not going to talk about that, what are we going to talk about? I just... Just to uh, talk about me. Why not talk about me? You know, I'm kidding. Okay, Toby Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about birds. All right. The Greeks believed that all crows were once white, that they were cursed with the darkness after a crow approached the god Apollo to tell him his human, uh, his human lover, a Thessalonian princess named Cornelia. No. Uh, no? Coronis. Coronis, who was pregnant with Apollo's child, had become enamored by a man named uh, Isitia. Apollo, Ixus, okay, <laughs> in anger, demanded his sister Artemis stay, uh, slay the princess. 
A lot of people actually died thanks to the plague-ridden arrows that Artemis rained down uh, for Apollo. In anger, Dark and the uh, Apollo uh, also uh, the fe uh, darkened the feathers of the Coronis. He did, however, at least bear the child. Some stories claim that he recovered the child from his uh, faithless lover, Swoom, as it was thrown onto the fire and then handed the child over to Chiron to raise. Though other tales insist that Hermes, who actually rescued the unborn child, Coronis was eventually set apart as the constellation Corvus. Now, Corvids are often tied to stories of warning. The thought of early Europeans coming to dislike them and to hearken them back to root infestations that were prevalent across Europe, Asia, and Russia. It's a cycle that I'm sorry, it's a cycle of life that some species are unaffected by a disease or find favorable locations that allow them to boom and grow. Though nature typically holds these in balance. Rooks, however, are thought to be the reason that natch crap legends came into being. Try saying that five times. Natch crap, natch crap, natch crap. <laughs> Natchcrap, Natchcrap. About the time of the stories that came to life, there were a root, a rook infestation. And scavengers with inky black feathers began being talked about as the flocks were growing. The farmers were upset that they were devouring the seeds and you know, they were just as bad as the carrions. And the town folk who looked um, at the mass of flocks loudly calling as they flew overhead in the dark cloud. Now I can attest to how annoying that is because we do have, they're not, they're a type of blackbird, but they're not crows. Uh, however, they are, I think they might be related to the crow family. Um, I'll have to look up what the Rackles. name of those. No, well, that's the I think that's the English name for it, but they have a different name in Spanish. I just have to look up what it is. And when these birds come in the winter, they come by the masses, and it it looks like a scene from the birds. I mean, they are just everywhere, and they're so loud and so annoying with their squawking. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I can understand how annoying the they must have been, you know, in Europe at this time. Right. The Natchcrap, or Night Raven, is a Eurasian myth that variants can be found around the world. There are stories to the positive and negative surroundings. These COVIDs and the Night Raven. Let's hit the negatives first. The Night Raven, as depicted in House mythology, oh, Norse mythology, has simply uh, applied sockets for eyes. And if you look into them, it will cause death. Its wings are filled with holes in which the illness and disease falls from the spot, if you spot them. Europeans believe that uh, it leaves the hiding places at night in order to hunt for food. Any children who seize the bird are abducted and carried off uh, to their nest, where they are messily devoured. First, their limbs are pulled off and eaten while they're still alive, only to die. This once opened the bird, reaches in and eats their heart in front of them. Some stories have mentioned the nightmares fuel by saying that instead, uh, instead that the birds puts the children into a bag and carries them away. There's a version of an angry night raven in Germany that doesn't abduct children, but rather crows loudly and beats its wings about until fussy children are frozen in terror and unable to make a move. There is, however, an Australian version known as the Good Night Raven who enters children's bedroom and gently sings them to sleep. 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 
I can see your eyes getting heavier. Heavier. I'm an Australian good night raven. Yes. It's wonderful yes. music I will sing to you because I am a children of the night. I'm still trying to find that the name of that bird. But in the meantime, the Russians do have tales of Alkanos, which is a creature that possesses the body of a bird and the head of a woman. Now, this does sound familiar to tales of the siren and the harpy. Um, this is, you know, the siren can be sort of the alter ego of Alsanost, or I'm sorry, Alkanost. And it is not a destructive force that lures men to their jam. She does sing enchanted melodies. However, her voice instead causes those to hear it to let go of their world, world, ugh, worldly worries and they want nothing more of their lives. Now, this could still sound horrific to some. I mean, what would life be like if we never wanted anything? However, she is considered a creature of good luck. And this is also a symbol of harmony and peace. And only happy people are able to hear it. The Alkanost rules over the day, while the siren and her dark persona are rulers of the night. The Alkanost has a voice of danger warning. The Romans believed in a snowy white bird called Caligius. I think the siren says that uh, uh, her voice is a danger warning. I'm not sure. Okay, I apologize for that. Um, but I guess, yeah, the siren would be a danger warning because they're the ones who lure you to your death. Mm -hmm. um, but I digress. The Romans believed in a snowy bird called Caligius. And it's said to live in the home of the king. There are two legends about this bird. The first says that the Caladrius had the ability to, to absorb illness from a sick person, as the bird would draw the disease away as it flew away with it. And the second does not mention the bird's healing ability, but rather that she perches on your bed and looks over you and you would live. So basically, this bird comes into your home, sees you laying in bed sick, the bird flies away, and you're alive. Praise the gods. Yes, but however, what happens when it doesn't look at you? If she looks away, dun, 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 dun. So the basically, the cow Doris comes in, you're alive. Turns away, you're dead. Yeah. Looks at you, you again, you're alive. <laughs> Turns to his head, you're dead. Let's just say if it looks away, the Grim Reaper is going to be knocking at your door. Right. All right. So Arabian myths contain the tales of a huge bird creature called the rock. And it doesn't smell when it's cooking. She has appeared in tales of Sinbad the Sailor from the Arabian Nights collection and Marco Polo. The Venetian explorer claims an appearance of beggars, uh, bag, get it? Beggars' belief, saying, "It is for the world like an eagle, but misled of enormous side, as big in fact that the quills would wear twelve paces long, and thick in proportion. As it is strong, it will seize an elephant in its talons and carry him high into the air and drop him so that it is smashed to pieces." Having killed him, the bird would swoop down on the uh, on him and eat at its leisure. Given that elephants, depending on the uh, genus, can weigh between eight thousand to sixteen thousand pounds, so that's about a uh, half a ton to a ton and a half, that one mes uh, insanely strong bird illustrates over the ages, depicting that the elephant looking as small as a mouse. Would, when compared to a bald eagle, Polo, Polo would go on to say to claim that the rocks flew from the 
southern region of, to Madagascar, and that the great Asian Khan has sent messengers to Madagascar to fetch him one for the bird's feathers. It is often revered bird, and many have uh, offshoot from the uh, Madagascar Larry bird, namely the elephant bird. This bird has numerous sightings from 1420 to 60, uh, 1668, when sailors would pass into the Cape of Good Hope, find uh, not only this huge but, uh, but flightless uh, bird itself, but the enormous eggs it would lay. Europeans traveling to Madagascar in the 1800s retrieved eggs and broke the shells, which would later scientists were able to monitor and confirm the beginning of the elephant bird. Madagascar, however, has had a long campaign in host not only to the giant rock, but giant lemurs and pygmy hippos. There has been fossils found in the islands. However, they, begin, uh, they belong to the new extinct Madagascar crowned eagle. It was not the same species as the elephant bird. However, this smaller bird, white, while able to fly and become an uh, apex predator, was about the size of a modern golden eagle. Definitely large creature. However, as far as small, it's had to have the eagle in the traces of a rock. Hmm. Interesting. Now, the rock has also been thought to be mistaken for its African ostrich. The adult ostrich is unable to fly. And it is thought to perhaps been confused as a chick for a much larger species of bird. Yes, the ostrich looks nothing like an eagle. But odds were no one was seeing these creatures up close as ostriches can be extremely dangerous on their own. I don't see still how they could confuse a ostrich for an eagle even far away. That just, that doesn't make sense. Yep. In 1228 AD, Cho Chufei, or I'm sorry, Zhao wrote a large island off the African, I'm sorry, a large island off of Africa that had birds large enough that their quills could be used as water reservoirs. Um, and it is thought that he was given fronds from a Rafa palm. And while he remained safe in Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan. Yes. Um. It said that, you know, these these feathers were, you know, different than a actual rock feathers. Um, also, the rock is thought to have originated from India. And there is a story of a bird called Garuda Wo that carried off an elephant. Um that was at the time battling a crocodile. No one in the scientific community has ever discovered what creature Vishnu's giant eagle could have been, as nothing in the fossil records have ever been discovered to date on that. Now, the rock uh, even drawn compar uh, comparisons to Hasafar eagle. An ancient eagle that went extinct in, in the 15th century, New Zealand, which boasted a 10-foot wingspan, or the Maori legend of the Tihakwai. The Maori legendary creature, however, was not uh, was said in the uh, huge and widely colorful, which descended to Earth to be carried off by humans to eat. It's a cry occasionally heard, not only was seen by unfortunate victims. While the Tikari theory, however, it was discovered at the uh, 1988s that a local, they snipe bird would create an unusually loud roaring sound 
with the tails when fighting another male for the chance to mate. It is now generally believed that the loud noises is why the Malari only heard the uh, noise, but never witnessed the enormous bird they believed to be uh, seen inside and be able to make the sound. Now, griffins had the body of a lion and the head and wings of an eagle. And these were first mentioned in Greek mythology. How's Gryffindor? Sorry, off topic. Gryffindor! <laughs> um, and these were the guardians that protected the treasure of Apollo. And it was said in some of these texts that the griffin, singular, was male. And he would lay his eggs in the carcasses of burrows. Um, and if he discovered the nest, that it would be strewn with golden nuggets. So I'm assuming that the uh, griffins were asexual. I guess so. I mean, if they could, if they were considered male, but they could lay eggs. Um, We'd have to ask Beaky about that. Yes. In Dante's Purgatory, he uses the griffin as a representation of Christ, given that the lion is the king of beasts and that the eagle is the king of birds. However, before Dante's writing, the griffin had already gone from a fierce protector to an indifferent god to a symbol of Satanism. After Dante, however, griffins are now seen as a more benevolent creature, and it began to appear in royal sigils and family crests. However, Dante was not the first to write about the griffin, as tales go all the way back to Artises in 7th century BC. By Artises' description, it was a sharp-beaked, unbarking hounds of Zeus. And so that would leave people to consider the griffin to be wingless. Yet Pliny the Elder, who we talked about before, in the first century BC, first insisted that griffins not only possess wings, but that they also have long ears. Then we go to the Greek philosoph philosopher Apollinus of Tyana, or I'm sorry, Tyana. And he wrote that not long after Pliny that the griffins did not have wings, but rather webbed feet. And this allowed them to glide for short distances. Pliny insisted that the creatures were found in Ethiopia and India. And science wondered if he somehow mixed up the lore of griffins with that of gold digging ants of India. The ants were said to be of dog or fox-sized insects. Dang, that's some big ants. Yeah. And they dug up gold in the sand. Though these stories are considered to be from Ethiopia and transferred to India over time. Then Isidore of Seville claimed um, that Griffins were natural enemies to horses, as tales were already circulating at the time that ancient giants called Aramisipians rode large horses that would raid griffins' nests for their gold. So it's really interesting the um, different ideas and thoughts that people had as to what these griffins must look like. Um, I mean, from one extreme to another. Um, isn't I might be wrong on this. You can correct me. I am wrong. I'm not even going to ask because I know the answer is no. So I'm going to skip that. Um, but yeah, I went from having wings to not having wings to having webbed feet to being the enemy of horses. So I think people just, you know, decided they wanted to go against the grain and like, oh, well, no, you're wrong. It's actually this. Oh, no, you're wrong. It's actually this. Uh -huh. It's like, come on, people. 
can we agree on one thing? Yep. That's always the thing. Now, while not properly worship the uh, Chilean alicardo bird was sought by by the miners of a region like a guiding star. It was considered a nocturnal bird that is incapable of flight, whose wings shone at night its metallic colors and the eyes smiling its strange light. Depending on the myth, if you would follow, the bird's wings would change depending on what sort of uh, or it has eaten. While others claimed it was always the eyes that uh, reflected of one of the ore, it has recently consumed. In these later stories, it was said that the bird's wings were a coppery green. As the uh, Lechantian was uh, flightless, it was thought that the faster the Lechantian ran, then there was an uh, ore in the area. But if a miner was able to follow the slower Agilio without being spotted, then the bird would eventually lead him to a mineral deposit. It wouldn't be uh, hard to follow the bird uh, with the glow of the wings in the dark of the desert. But if the miner was spotted, then the Italian would simply snuff out its light and escape in the searing darkness. Ooh. And if it was not for the good-hearted man, if he had a heart of, uh, heart of darkness, then the Inchero would simply read, uh, lead you to a cliff before extinguishing its light. That way, fumbling in the darkness, intense darkness, the wicked miner would, fit, would plummet to the edge and die. Mythos unfolded upon a real person in the tale of after one Gurodoy discovered a large outcrop of silver back in 1832. Gordoy discovered uh, led to the Chilean silver rush. And another mythical bird that was not exactly worshipped per se was the Ansu. This was an ancient Sumerian bird who like the reverse of the griffin, sported the body of an eagle, and it had the head of a lion. At the pre-dawn time of Anzu, massive in size and might, it managed to steal the tablet of destinies from the gods. Anzu's great size, the only tray that could hold his nest, straddled the head of the seven rivers in Utu. The sun, I'm sorry. It straddled the head of the seven rivers of Utu, which was the sun god. As Anzu launched himself into flight, his wings stirred up dust, and gods thought of him as an opponent that would be difficult to kill. Enlil, who was the son of one of the gods, followed Anzu in order to bring the tablet back. Most myths do agree that this minor deity battles Anzu on the primordial, primordial world, meaning our world. And this unleashed floodwaters along with winds and storms. And these all taking their part in shaping the world as it is to be. Enlil does manage to slay the giant bird and returns home in triumph, having the tablet. But the world was already affected by Anzu. And so, yeah, that was that. Um, this tale does wait, date back around 1200 BC. And the Assyrian kings did eventually change the story of the battle to instead insert themselves as a victory of the battles. So like most fiction, you just can't keep a bad guy down. No. Israeli folklore eventually allowed Anzu to return from the grave as a powerful creature for the Israelis. And they did offer sacrifices to him to keep him appeased. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, let's talk about the wonderful uh, uh, Hoponi bird. It's a real creature that is in distinctive an appearance due to its raised crest feathers on top of its head that resembles crowns. These birds range from Egypt to large parts of Africa and even on Madagascar. We've already talked about Madagascar. That's where the rock was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now, the Egyptian uh, consider them as sacred, and the bird is often uh, in, depicted on walls of tombs and temples alike. It was considered a symbol of a children being the uh, the. It, sorry, my eyes are getting uh, tired. Being the hell, mm. uh, the hell uh, heir to the fathers. And thus were imported to the royalty. The Minuans uh, Empire in Crete during the Bronze Age had their small birds in similar way to the Egyptians. This bird was even li- listed by name in the, uh, the Torah. Though it considers it to be detestable bird, that is not the uh, kosher and therefore it's not to be eaten. The reason apparently be- that the bird was a subtle and sly with its words. There's a story now that King Solomon was uh, was rescued by the hoopos and gathered as the uh, flock over his head to shade him beneath their wings other when he was lost in the desert. Hoponos, birds like the pre-Islamic Chichuans and or, uh, hoarding countries, bordering countries, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> These countries are bored. Yes. Consisted of the birds sacred and the goddess uh, Tusho, and could be only hunted if you were given permission by the goddess high priest, and even if you could only be attained for medicinal purposes. Persia saw that the hoopas as a symbol of virtue, but most European considered these uh, birds as uh, an undesirable thief. Scandinavians considered the bird of a har- harbinger of war. Acetonia had them tied to the death and the underworld, claiming it, if you heard the song, it was a fore, uh, foreshadowing mass death, though the death could only be silver, only be slither of a person made or cattle, neither of which would be seen as uh, positive. Interesting. Now, Sorry, my mid- eyes are kind of a uh, bit blurry tonight. Not a problem. You need glasses. Mm, need sleep. <laughs> now, by the medieval ages, the hopo was shifted to a specifically evil bird that was used in magical spells. And um, there were some spells in Germany that were called the Munich Manual of Demonic Magic that would often cause call for a sacrifice of this bird for summoning demons or other dark magic. Despite its past, the hupo was named the National Bird of Israel in 2008. And Germany and Latvia now both include the bird in numerous coat of arms. The logo, um, sorry, it is the logo of the University of Johannesburg. The bird, however, is still used in numerous locations around the world as an ingredient of folk medicine for a variety of health issues. Its days of being worshipped has definitely not helped the species much. In fact, it seems to have mostly been for the bird's detriment. Um, you know, for a bird being held as worthy for being one of the only species whose young take care of the elderly, um, it's also damned by the same brush, seeming condemned by God upon creation. Now, what is its sin? 
It refuses to eat any food presented for it, so it was punished to only eat the poo from other animals for eternity. I guess that's how it got its name of the um, the hoopoo, or actually it's hoopo, but you know, I would say hoopoo since it eats the poo. <laughs> well, you know, that's maybe why the uh uh it's that's a uh a, a animal that's forbidden by the torah to eat that is very interesting because i know that they're very um like that's the reason you don't eat shellfish um also the pig is considered to be a very dirty animal um mm -hmm. that's why you know they're for they don't eat pork either so that you know really makes sense to put it up there with that there are also tales of the Cinemogulus. This is a bird from Arabia. And it said that this giant bird would construct its nest out of cinnamon sticks. Mm, that smells good. Yeah. However, nobody knew where the bird would get these sticks from. The Arabians did devise a trick to obtain the cinnamon, as the bird nested off of sheer cliffs where climbers could not reach. For this trick, they would sacrifice cattle and they would cut the beast into chunks for the birds to swoop down and eat. The theory that the weight of the meat would break the nest off the cliff and the Arabians would wait below to collect the cinnamon sticks that fell to the ground. All right. Well, let's talk about Aristotle. Now, the birds uh, created uh, in the branches that toppled tree far above where his climber could reach withholding the limb snapping beneath its weight. Aristotle said that these or spice collectors would instead use bows to shoot arrows or they would use bows to shoot arrows. Could you imagine shooting a, uh, a bow? It depends on how big the bow is. Yeah. <laughs> These weighted arrows would cause the, st uh, the slender branches of the nest were to snap off and drop the nest down into the uh, uh, into your hands, pretty much. Pitney, the elder, poo-pooed the entire theory, insisting that the uh, tales of the cinnamon-tainted nest were given the justified the high cost of the spice at the market. It does make you think. However, why such stories would be considered tasteful given that birds nestings on cinnamon would certainly be unsanitary but then the practice of attaching the fanciful to product to render the most desirable yet still full uh, swing today not only can we call it marketing but modern day marketing would have us a hard time shooting that the with the consumer these days Given that the modern birds avoid the scent of cinnamon as well as garlic, chili, and cayenne. Yet, you know, these uh, spices were often what to cook uh, them in. Folklore out of Scottish islands bring us the boobry. A shape-shifting bird that does not fly, but rather uses its wings to swim. And can be found in lakes and oceans along the country's western shores. It seems to uh, often take the form of a cormorant or t or loon, but is considered to be the uh, perhaps based on the great auk, which is now extinct. The auk, a flightless water bird, died out in the 19th century were from the uh, genus Pengenus. Well, the name and the uh, look of the bird somewhere resembles a modern-day penguin. The two species were completely un uh, unrelated. Penguins received their names because they were vaguely resembled to the great uck. Interesting. Yeah. Now, to the squats. The boobery was found of cattle, and it could pull from ships. Also, it ate otters, which were abundant in the region. Oh, the poor baby otters. Yes. 
Now, since this bird was a shapeshifter, it could take on the manifestation of a water bull or water horses. And in this form, it galloped across the waters as if it were solid ground. Even its hoofbeats sounded as if it was striking the earth. Now, mythos say in the summers, it was often spotted as a large insect. It would suck the blood from the horses and other livestock. Lambs and calves were also a culprit to many of the creatures' untimely death. The brewery had a loud bellowing call. And some scholars have attributed this to a real call of the common bittern. This is a small but loud bird, and they were occasionally found in Scotland. However, they did not natively reside there. The brewery was considered a malevolent creature, and one tell of its capture tells a farmer, I'm sorry, tells of a farmer and his son that were plowing a field. This was on the island of Mull, and that is located west of Scotland and amongst the inner Hebrides Islands. On this occasion, the farmer and his son had four horses that were hitched to a pal. One of the horses threw a shoe, so the plow the plowing had to be haunted, halted, haunted, halted. Tomato. Yeah, tomato. we are totally bad today. I do apologize, people. ADD bad today. Words hard. <laughs> So they had to they had to halt the plowing, and the farmer and his son then noticed a horse grazing nearby, and so he thought it would he, I'm sorry, they thought they would see if it could be used as a replacement for their lame horse. So it's like, hey, Dad, look, there's a horse over there in the pasture. Why don't we try using that one? Apparently, it was easy enough to capture the animal and to get it harnessed up as it seemed to be familiar with plowing. So they continued on. As the plowing took them closer to a lock at the end of the field, the new horse became restless. So in order, in order to calm it, the farmer snapped a whip alongside the animal, you know, kind of as an incentive to get back to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I should take that whip and slap him. However, to their amazement, the so-called horse took form into a giant boobery and it dove into the lock. However, the new shape did fail to allow it to get out of the harness. harness. So the farmer's plow and the other three horses were pulled in with it. Horses did, did not surface again. The farmer and his son waited at the lock's edge for seven hours. And, you know, sadly, their horses did demise. Right. Now, the boobery, uh, however, also have a uh, feature testimonial uh, positivity in the some tales. John Campbell of Isley a specialist in Celtic studies back in the mid-1800s shared a tale of a booby who had taken form of a bull. Now, the, uh, the animal was wounded and was uh, standing beside a lock in Argyle, where it was uh, found by a young man who nursed it back to health. A few months later, after finding uh, the bull and its return to health, the young man's girlfriend was attacked by a former boyfriend alongside the lock. The water bull appeared and knocked him uh, act, uh, knocked the attacker over, then knelt as the frightened girl could climb onto its back. He carried her to safety and then disappeared that night, not to be seen again. The fate of the water bull? Translation from original Gaelic claims that the poor beast had been a boobry under the spell of a bondage that it kept trapped in the water. But from the 300 years, thanks to the young man's healing it, it repayment by saving the maiden from the water, uh, that the water bowl now revealed to be a boobry, was 
freed from its uh, landscape and once again in its presence. If, of course, the Vubri was not a creation to be worshipped or considered sacred, it is certainly a superstition that still stirs today in the Scottish uh, folklore. The Persian mythos holds that the Chamrosh is a large bird that lives on the summit of Mount Abros, and it has a command companion in Amrosh, a simurv that is the ying to Shamash's yang. Chamrosh lives beneath a soma tree and has the body of a dog and the head of an eagle while Amrash nests in the Soma tree and has the head of a dog and the body of an eagle. So I guess maybe it's like a kind of weird thing where something happened and the dog and the eagle were together and then, you know, it split into two creatures. Maybe. The creator, Amrast, placed the Soma tree along the seashore of the sea of Varuk Kasha and then created Chamrosh and Amrosh to fulfill a sacred duty. Now, both of these birds are immortal, immortal, and their duty is to the tree and its unusual crop. Every year, the tree gains a thousand new branches that grow all of the seeds of the world. As these seeds ripen, Amrosh sits on each branch in turn, and it, they will shake the tree and dropping the seeds to the ground. Now, Shamrosh's task is to strike the seeds from the ground with his wings. And this knocks them into the sea. The seeds are then drawn from the sea into the clouds and which rain comes down with the seeds to earth in their proper places. There are, as we have pointed out earlier, several birds that are held up in myth, not worship, but as an example of punishment for the wicked doings. The Greeks originated the myth of the Stringe or Strix, depending on which version you come across. And this myth did find its way to the Roman belief system and then into the Middle Ages religious zeal. Tell us about the Strange. Now, the Strange were originally said to have been two brothers who were cursed to become wild animals for having killed and eaten a fellow man. Ooh, cannibals. Mm-hmm. Once you become a sage, you're condemned to a life of being upside down unable to eat food or drink and were blamed for all series and uh, uh, despairing cries heard from the night. Some mythos liken the strange with vampires are witches. Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting because the Italian word for vampire is stringoli, which is very Uh, similar to strange. Right. Others came to that the strange to be birds of prey during the day and then witch at night. It isn't the bird of prey to fear, but the witch. As it is said that when she strangles children and drains them of her blood, boy, they don't like witches too much there, much of the same mm-hmm. as the vampire, the witch can be detained by mat- making amulets out of garlic to wear around their neck. Plenty of course, had to weigh in on this myth, describing them as real creatures, but admits that he doesn't know much about them and their story. But the time the Strange hit the Middle Ages, they had transitioned from damned to their own actions for being servants of the devil. But then, of course, there are many more sacred animals that could easily work, uh, we can cover. And another man's nightmares. Are there stories of birds that you, uh, from your own religion, uh, culture, or ethnicity that hold a place in your heart? Feel free to comment as we should be able to uh, love to a team of more uh, beliefs like this around the world. 
Now, I know one that we didn't um, cover comes from the Mexican culture, which is the owl, um, the lechuza. And basically in that belief, it's that an, um, an owl is actually a witch in bird form. Um, it's really fascinating. I would love to, to talk about that in future episodes if we can do that. Um, but yeah, that's one I know locally in my area. Um, but I digress. We've gone through the second Part half. Two. Yes. And you had promised last week that you would inform us all who your favorite, what your favorite mythical sacred bird is. The rock. How did I know? I, I, I had a feeling you were going to say the rock. Interesting. I'm psychic. Yes. No, you just know me very well. <laughs> that could be it too. Yep. But I digress. This does conclude part two of our sacred birds. Um, we do ask that you like and subscribe. And again, leave a comment letting us know which bird you like the best. Or if there's a bird we didn't cover from your culture, again, let us know in the comments. And with that, um, we look forward to next week. Um, anything else you'd like to add tonight before we close out this episode? Uh, yes, uh, I just wanted to say that we do really enjoy your comments. Send us some. We want to hear from you. We're so lonely. It's sad. It's pathetic. I know. But please drop us a line on our Facebook page, Skeptic Sidekick. We also have a website, skepticsidekick.com, where you can go up and make all the little comments. Email us at info at skepticsidekick.com. And you can catch us on any podcast uh, out there that uh, is podcasting. And with that, I like to say unpleasant nightmares. That's a lot of information. Um, you can find all that in the links as well. But sweet dreams, everybody. Good night. Good night.